Okay, turn to Ephesians chapter 5, if you're not there already. Uh, We got down to about verse 15 on Wednesday. So we will uh, continue and try to finish up the chapter this morning. Uh, Could I get a volunteer to read verses 15 through 21? Sir? Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Okay, thank you. So we we mentioned at the end of class on Wednesday... We're told to be careful how we walk. And, uh, you know, certainly that's sound advice. But how are we told to walk? What does it uh, tell us we need to have? Wisdom. Wisdom. So, how do we walk in wisdom? Where do we find wisdom? Yeah, this thing right here, God's Word. Uh, So, if we're wise, we're going to follow what our Creator told us to do. In contrast to the unwise who don't have any regard for God's Word. And then we're told to make the most of our time or redeem the time, I think some translations say, uh, because the days are evil. Now, one thing that I found kind of interesting, the word for time here is not the word you think it is, or at least not the word I thought it was. Uh, there's a uh, word in the Greek, you know, chronos, that we get chronology. This isn't that word. It is the word that's most often translated seasons or opportunities. It's translated seasons in 1 Thessalonians 5.1 and Acts 1.7. And then in uh, Galatians 6, verses 9 and 10, it says, Let's, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Season in verse 9 and opportunity in verse 10, same words, pretty much. You know, same root word. What is it? Uh, Curious, K-A-I-R-O-U-S, uh, I guess it's the plural, K-A-I-R-O with a little squiggly. Uh, I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that right or not. It's all Greek to me. But, uh, so, the instruction is 
we need to make the most of our opportunities. So how do we do that? Be looking for them. Okay. Firstly, be, be aware that, that they're around us and be ready for them. Okay. Need to be awareness of the evil, of the devil. <laughs> yes. Uh, and the end of this verse, because the days are evil. So, certainly a tie-in there. Leah? I think of the concept of not to miss the forest for the trees. Sometimes in our days we can get so busy or caught up in that moment, but instead to maybe see the bigger picture of what we're trying to accomplish spiritually instead of just getting lost in our work or our mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. <coughs> yep. Good point. Anything else? Brett? The Proverbs talk about just seeking wisdom. And um, I know we kind of mentioned that, but I think that's a really big idea that we um, that we probably fall short on a lot is just not like pursuing wisdom like that's the most uh, important thing to grasp a hold of in this life, at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Chris. It starts out, even in this uh, statement, you look carefully. Uh-huh. Um, so that's one way you walk. But it, it, in a way, this, to me, is a general statement. It doesn't have a specific item that, you know, here, here it is, step by step. Here's what you do. So there's several applications, I think, mm-hmm. for different people. You know, let's be careful. Let's be wise. Uh, make the best use of your time. And then he goes on with some more specific things. But in general, this is a fit your uh, application mm-hmm. type statement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some things that uh, that I had written down, uh, you know, doing good for others, learning more fully God's will, doing honest work, you know, prayer, meditation, uh, teaching the word, edifying the weak. I think those are all things that would fall into that category. And that's certainly not an exhaustive list. So, yeah, good thought. Yeah, Ron? Anytime I just do what comes naturally, that tends to not be the best. So trying to be purposeful and intentional about the choices that I make. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sir? And that fits in, again, with the whole walking carefully. Um, I have a note here that says, we cannot always do the right thing at speed, so we need to... Be wise and do it carefully, and mm-hmm. do it in this case as life. I mean, we can't mm-hmm. always get life right when we're going 100 miles an hour. So maybe we need to slow down a little bit and be more careful and intentional and wise to okay. get it right. Okay. Yeah, all good points. And then in verse 17 uh, says. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I think the King James renders the word foolish as unwise, which makes you think back to verse 15, as uh, we're not to walk as unwise men, but those are two different words. And so, actually the rendering in the New American Standard uh, do not be foolish is a better rendering for that word because that word 
truly means foolish. Uh, it's a stronger word than just unwise. Uh, so, and there's a lot of warnings in the scriptures for a fool. And so this is uh, one of those. And so this kind of person would be totally lacking in sense, uh, has bad judgment, makes rash decisions, uh, and certainly doesn't consider God's word and his will in their decisions. And then he goes right in to verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. You know anybody that's made a mess out of their lives with drugs or alcohol? I suspect a lot of us do. I certainly know people who have done that. I know people who have made such a mess of their lives they don't even have their own children anymore those children have been taken away from them permanently by the legal authorities and knowing the situation that was a good move those kids are better off not being with parents that let drugs and alcohol rule their lives. So, we can, we can really get into a mess when we let that happen. And I think the big warning is it can creep up on you. Well, it's just one little drink. You know, so, social drinking. That, I'm not going to get drunk. Well, you know, that's where all drunkards and alcoholics started. With one drink. And so the best way to not go down that path is don't even make that start. Uh and you know Proverbs talks about wine being a mocker uh, and it looks innocent in fact it kind of looks good but it's not and so we need to heed the warnings of the scriptures and this is certainly another warning but he says instead be filled with the spirit uh yeah, Katrina? Um, looking at 17 and 18 together, um, the comparison of the foolish to the mm-hmm. of God, um, in context, though, there are, in the city that they, if, assuming it was Ephesus, the, they're surrounded by either all the idols with all of the wine and debauchery and all that went on as that worship was presented, <laughs> or they could fill themselves with God and the Spirit. And so I think, of course, we don't want to be full of wine and debauchery, but what does our culture promote <coughs> as worship today? Uh, whether that's self or self 
just I think maybe taking a look at what does our culture promote as worship instead of worshiping God to make sure that we don't fill ourselves with that as opposed to what we're just doing. Yeah, I mean, today, do whatever you feel like in worship. Well, you know, whatever feels good to us, that's what we need to do. That's what so many think. Uh, and if it if it seems good to us, then God will surely be pleased. And that's pretty presumptuous on our part to think that way. Sarah? Well, and that kind of makes helps it helps verse 17 tie back to verse 10, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord mm-hmm. and understanding what the will of the Lord is. Mm-hmm. That is all tied together. It's not just what makes you feel good. Although proper worship does have that effect too, I mean mm-hmm. it can it can be uplifting to the worshiper as well as uh, he who is to, to be worshipped above all. Mm-hmm. Yep, Mark. Seventeen and eighteen uh, is really interesting how it compares with seventeen and eighteen of the previous chapter. <laughs> okay, I didn't look there. <laughs> Yep. Yep, that's a good point. <laughs> okay. Uh, it says, be filled with the Spirit, and then look at the next three verses. And what will, what activities will we participate in if we're filled with the Spirit? Verse 19, singing. And not just any sort of singing, but singing of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And doing this to the Lord. (coughs) Verse 20, giving thanks. First filled with the Spirit, we will give thanks for all things. And do so in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 21, by submitting. So, singing, thanking, and submitting are three spirit-filled activities that, uh, that follow. So I thought that was, uh, thought that was interesting. Uh, I mean, we could talk a long time on verse 19 about singing, but I don't know that I want to go down that road because we got more to uh, travel. Uh, but if you have specific questions, you know, we can talk about that. Uh, but uh, in the uh, in verse 20, in the giving of thanks. Uh, You know, there's, that's kind of the what. Because Paul, here in this verse, answers several questions about our expressions of appreciation to God. What, when, for what, to whom, and how. The what is giving thanks, expressing our gratitude. And we should certainly do that. 
And if we concentrate on our blessings, that'll become really easy to do. Uh, And certainly in Ephesians, there has been a focus on our blessings. Uh, Back especially in verse one or chapter one, uh, all the spiritual blessings that we talked about. And so when we think about that, it's pretty easy to give thanks. And then we're told to always give thanks. Not just sometimes, but always. This needs to be a regular habit of ours. And we're to give thanks for all things. Physical blessings, spiritual blessings, uh, everything that God has done. And certainly, one of the big things is the gift of God's Son and what that does for us. Uh, far greater than any physical blessings that we could have. And then to whom? You know, to God. To God the Father. And how we're to do that is in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, there's lots of things that we're told in the scriptures that are in the name of Jesus. Salvation is in his name, Acts chapter 10, verse 43, as well as chapter 4, verse 12. Baptism is in his name, Acts 8, 16, 19, 5, and 10, 48. Preaching is in his name, Luke 24, 46, and 47, and Acts 9, 27. Good deeds are to be done in his name. Matthew 18, 5. Uh, and then also Matthew 25, 31 to 46. Miracles in the first century were done in his name. Acts 3, verse 6, 4, verses 7 through 10, also verse 30, and Acts 16, 18. And then here, giving thanks is to be done in his name. And then in Colossians 3, verse 17, whatever we do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. Understanding that praying in his name is not just adding a phrase at the end of our prayers. It is recognition that every prayer is through him, every direction is by his authority, and every blessing is made possible through him thoughts comments on any of that and then uh, verse 21 be subject to one another in the fear of the Lord you know submitting this was originally a military term referring to the forming or lining up of troops for battle under commanding officer And submission is something that can be voluntary or involuntary. Uh, Slaves oftentimes had to submit involuntarily. They didn't choose to be in that position, but were placed in that position. But most of the submission and the submissions that the scriptures talk about 
are voluntary or a result of a choice. Uh, you know, we can uh, choose to take a job and submit to our employer. Let him direct our activities. Uh, we can choose to be a member of a local church and in that church we appoint elders and we choose to submit to them uh, and that should be a voluntary submission uh, and then a wife enters into a marriage relationship with her husband and the scriptures say she's to submit and that's a voluntary uh, position she has put herself in. Uh, so, uh, yes, sir. There, I know there are people in, out in the world and around us and here who have a lot of trouble with the upcoming verses about mm-hmm. wives submitting to your husbands. And obviously, it's never been a problem for me because I never Why? met someone who I could stand to put up with. <laughs> <laughs> Which but, illustrates my point that it is voluntary. <laughs> but, but I come to see, I've come to see verse twenty-one as the crux of the whole matter. That it's not just wives submitting to husbands. If he says submit to one another, and he's not just talking about the elders submitting to the elders within the church, he's mm-hmm. talking about an attitude of putting. I think everyone in the congregation above yourselves, like he says in Philippians, uh, mm-hmm. to look on others is more important mm-hmm. than yourselves. Mm-hmm. And I kind of almost kind of joke to myself that God has tricked me in that I haven't <laughs> gotten a husband to submit, but I found it harder to um, have developed an independent mindset and yet be part of a congregation and go. God has made me realize that I have to submit to everyone, whether I think y'all are crazy or not. <laughs> and I say that tongue in cheek because obviously, Amen, sister. <laughs> I say that tongue in cheek because obviously you all probably think I'm crazy. But the point is, um, it's all of us. We all need to think that everyone else is better or more important, maybe not better, but important than ourselves, because that's the attitude Jesus had. Right. And I have come to find that, you know, all these examples he gives down here are not necessarily the hard part, but the part, the people you don't know as well, and the people that you've come to be part of a big group that you have less in common with. It's the unity in Christ, the submission to that, that might actually be a little more difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well stated. Uh, Katrina? Um, I, and I, don't, I don't know if it's mixing words. I hope it's not because I don't try to do that. But submitting, I think, is always voluntary to the point of, like, you were talking about, like, slaves or someone that is oppressed. And I think a master could oppress someone so much that they are finally willing to submit. But I would think that submission is always voluntary, whether it's under a gun or not. <laughs> okay. And I just I make that point just because 
we have to choose to submit, whether, like, to Sarah's point, whether it's as a wife or whether it's as a body, a member in the body of Christ, it's it's always a choice. And, and God's saying, choose that because you respect Christ. Okay. Sarah? And this, the idea of tying this back that this is one of those things that fills us with the Spirit being subject to one another it fills us with a spirit that is like Christ who submitted to God who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross Mm -hmm. Um, Philippians 2 and that becoming Christ-like in that way allows us to be filled with the Spirit as well. So it all kind of ties yeah. rather neatly together. Yeah, Christ is certainly a, a great example of that. Bob? The, uh, Paul told in Galatians in 5.13, he said, uh, For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. This the idea of submission and servitude mm-hmm. are all wrapped up in one thing. Right. Oftentimes we think of submission as the master slave uh, circumstance, and when in actuality it's mm-hmm. it's the the mechanism of love. We look at one another. We look for other each other's needs, and and we serve. Mm-hmm. As, that is submission. Yep. To others. Yep. I, I think one of the best pictures we see of that is in the Sermon on the Mount in the Beatitudes. Mm-hmm. We see the kingdom citizen, the, uh, the uh, kingdom citizen, as one who is that kind of a person. Mm-hmm. Okay. Look. Yeah, I think Sarah Wright's point is a good one. Because I think sometimes when we preach on this text, we'll turn up one aspect of it, turn it up real high, and blow away everything else. <laughs> and the problem with that is that when you talk to somebody in the, in the world, and they push back on this whole idea of wives submitting to their husbands, I've come to realize what they mean by that is something that's very different than what we mean. Their view right. is completely flawed. Like, So right. you have to restore, but what did he mean by this? Because he later goes on how Christ loved the church and gave himself mm-hmm. for her. Right? Verse 21, right, submitting to one another. If, if Max put it, it's a two-way street. So mm-hmm. we're not talking about that two-way street. What they're thinking about is some guy just comes home and is like, hey, make me a sandwich, woman. Right. You know, and that's... Well, that's not what we mean. Right. Okay, but that's what they think. And so we're just, we're, we're saying the same words, but we have totally different meaning. We have to restore yeah. that meaning first. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Uh, uh, I ran across this paragraph. I'll read it to you. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, it says, There is a sense in which we must be subject to all others. Parents must be subject to their children in some ways. We are not under the legal authority of our children, but we must often submit our wills to theirs. We do that out of unselfish love. If you do not believe that, have a baby, take him home from the hospital, and try to explain to him that he should quit crying in the middle of the night because you are authoritatively telling him to stop. If you want to be a good parent, what you will do is submit. I thought that was pretty good, uh, but yes, uh, we're, we're we're definitely to be subject to one another, 
But as Luke has pointed out, submission is not what the world tends to think of it as. Uh, and especially with the husband and wife relationship. And there's, I mean, we'll get into uh, those responsibilities in a minute. But, uh, but yeah, there's, uh, there's a lot there. Brett. Um, just real quick, we've kind of hinted at this, but the thing that stood out to me this time in verse 21 was out of reverence for Christ. Right. If you really love your Lord, you love him, and fear him and reverence him, set him up as holy above all else, what you'll do is you'll submit and you'll you'll treat everyone else just like you did as more important than yourself. Yep. You must be reading my notes. That's where I was headed uh, as my final comment on this. So, uh, well stated. Okay. Uh, let's move on. Uh, can I get somebody to read verses 22 through 33, the end of the chapter? Any volunteers? Uh, Craig? Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Okay. So, we see a a couple of truths presented here uh, you know, concerning uh, the church uh, stresses that Christ is the head of the church and the church is to be subject to him uh, in the first three verses and then the second truth uh, about the church is that Christ loved it and gave himself up for it uh, and these truths are illustrated by God's arrangement in the home. Uh, but the uh, the main lesson is Christ and the church and their relative relationship to one another. Uh, but at the same time, we learn about marriage between husband and wife. Uh, now, when... We talk about the idea of submission. A lot of people get in their heads. That means inferiority. Does submission mean inferiority? So I, I once had someone read through this and say, well, clearly Paul hated women. You know, I yeah. read Ephesians and I read Corinthians and clearly Paul hated women. 
And if you're going to follow that line of reasoning, you have to say, well, clearly Paul hated the church. Right. Because for the same reason they've come to that conclusion, well, women are told to submit to someone, and that means they're inferior and Paul hates them. Well, the church is to submit to Christ. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that the church is like that. The church isn't worth something, or it's not valuable, or that Paul had some kind of disdain for it. It just means that that was the role that the church was put in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and certainly, if Paul didn't love the church, he wouldn't have gone through right. all he went through. Right. Uh, so, uh, no, really, really good point. Uh, so, no, submission does not mean inferiority. And, you know, we talked about other relationships, uh, employer-employee. Does that mean the employee is inferior to the employer? No. It's a relationship. Uh, and some has... Someone has to be given the position of the head, uh, and then you've got the position of the body. But our bodies are not inferior to our heads. You know, the the rest of the body is important. Uh, You know, without the rest of the body, the head wouldn't be much. So, uh, so we understand that in the physical sense, uh, and we need to understand that uh, in the spiritual sense as well. Uh, but yeah, I yeah I read some of the same things about how Paul, you know, really uh, hated women and uh, had a very low view of of women and and marriage, and you know, Paul was single, so yeah. They use that as evidence. Uh, but yet, uh, they don't say the same thing about Peter, even though he uses the same language in his epistle. Uh, but he was married. Uh, you know, Christ is presented in two important capacities with reference to the church. Uh He is the head, in verse 23, and he is the savior of the body. Uh, The savior, he's protector, provider, and he made this great sacrifice. He submitted himself to certainly the will of the Father, but he really submitted himself to us as well. He served us in giving up his own life. And even before that, giving up his position in heaven to come to earth. Uh, that couldn't have been easy. Uh, you know, once we get to heaven... You think we're going to want to come back here? I don't think so. Uh, in fact, I'm, uh, I just recently was reading in John, in, uh, in chapter 11, the resurrection of Lazarus. And I've often wondered, 
what it would have been like to be Lazarus and summoned back to earth after four days in paradise. I suspect he wasn't real pleased by that at first. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. I thought I was out of this. Uh, so, uh, you know, that, that thought has often crossed my mind. And Christ, leaving heaven, coming to earth, knowing what was coming, he served us. And we need to follow that example and serve one another, as we've been talking about. Okay, we're going to run out of time. Uh, let's talk about love. Uh, husbands, to love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Verse 25. Love's another word that is often misunderstood, in part because we lump a lot of things under love. Uh, my uh, grandmother used to say you love people you don't love things you like things and she made that distinction although she did, she did go on to say but I love horseradish <laughs> not sure why there but uh, uh But actually, in the Greek language, there's some more precision. Because there are several different words that are translated love. Uh, There was a word for the uh, romantic feelings and passions between uh, husband and wife. Uh, That's not the word used here. Uh, There's a love for a uh, fondness or affection, like a... uh, a friend uh, or a, a close relative. And that's not the word used here either. This is the word that is the commanded type of love. Putting someone else's interests above our own. Uh, the word agape that I'm sure most of us are familiar with and have heard. A self-sacrificing, purposeful, intentional love. And that's what husbands are told to do in loving their wives. It's not the warm feeling, although there should be warm feelings in marriage. Uh, and the marriages that are on the right path, that'll be there. Uh, there'll be the romantic feelings as well. But this is a self-sacrificing love. A love that puts the wife's interest above the husband's interest. And doing whatever is best for her. And having her needs met. Uh, so a very sacrificial type of love. Like Christ did for the church. Because without Christ's sacrifice, 
we'd be nothing. The church would be meaningless because we'd have no hope. <coughs> Leanne? I would say that as we do this for each other, it becomes so much easier mm-hmm. to do because mm-hmm. if I know that Katrina would do anything for me, sacrifice her time or her resources or whatever, then it's just simple to choose to do that for her always. And it's not just me and Katrina. It's everybody in this room. I'm confident that if I needed something, I'm comfortable to, to share that need because I know that there will be another time that I can help someone else. And I just think that's the beauty in it. It's not a forced um, sacrifice. It's a sacrifice that starts to come easily. Mm-hmm. Yep. Excellent point. Other thoughts? Mark? Thought, thought question, do you think that God gave us uh, the husband-wife relationship to help us understand Christ and the church relationship? Mm-hmm. I do. Yeah. And, you know, the marriage relationship goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. Uh, but, you know, you look at the scriptures, it's really one big story. And the central theme is Christ and his sacrifice the redemption of man so yeah I I think so I think it's important to recognize the husband's love for his wife doesn't hinge on her um, behavior Mm -hmm. Um, Christ loved the church and uh, I mean we think about our own lives and um, uh, he loved us anyway Mm mm-hmm yeah, I mean, that goes back to grace that we were talking about uh, back in Ephesians 1 and 2. Uh, this isn't something that we deserve. If we get what we deserve, we deserve punishment. But Christ sacrificed himself for us while we were yet sinners, Romans 5. So... Uh, so yes, uh, I think that uh, that goes hand in hand. It doesn't matter what the wife does; the husband is commanded to love the wife. Good point. Okay, then in uh, in verse twenty seven, uh, talks about uh, the church being glorious. Uh, and you know equating uh, that to the marriage relationship a bride is considered to be glorious you know brides are always beautiful on their wedding day they have a glow about them uh, a radiance about them uh, and so a Christian should be excited to be part of that church that thing that is called glorious here uh, and then the character of the bride is holy and without blemish uh, holy and blameless uh, the end of verse 27 Says, and you know the church can be that as well. 
not because we're perfect, but because we're cleansed. Verse 26, that he might sanctify her and cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. And so, our obedience uh, comes into play here, but grace certainly uh, makes us so that we can be holy and blameless, even though we are all sinners. And then the word glorious, uh, something that is honorable or magnificent. And when I think of glorious, I think of some of the things in God's creation. There's some amazing things. You ever seen the Grand Canyon? Niagara Falls? There's a couple things that come to mind. Bing being very glorious. Yeah, sir. Um, So, the word, whenever I think of the word bride, I think of just on the wedding day. And although I do know of many men who refer to their wives of long standing as their bride in a very affectionate way and Mm -hmm. and all that. Mm -hmm. So on that first day, you are so beautiful and glorious and gorgeous and your hair is perfect and all those wonderful things. Um, but then this still, this also applies to the wife of 50 years and the Christian of 50 years who may not look quite as unwrinkled because there's been life. Um, there's been... There have been blemishes, there have been issues, things have happened. And so it it seems to be a continuing process both for the husband and the wife and for Christ in the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, they say love is blind. And you know that can be a good thing. Uh, I, was, uh, I was teaching a middle school class once. And I told them. Because uh, we were talking about, you know, love and marriage. And and I said, I married the most beautiful woman in the world. Now, you may not think so. But you know, that doesn't matter. I don't care what you think. But marriage, when it's the right kind of marriage, it becomes that. And so, yes... Even after 50 years, or I guess I can only say 40, but I still feel the same way. And it's not about her physical appearance as much as her inner beauty. So, uh, I saw a hand. Yeah, Bob. The changes from the eyes to the heart. Mm-hmm. It's not something we see, it's something we understand, perceive, mm-hmm. true beauty. Right. And then it talks about you know, husbands loving their wives as their own body. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, uh, just as Christ does the church. And certainly Christ sacrificed his flesh, his body, 
for the church and uh, a loving husband should do that for his wife uh, and then it talks about uh, you know going back to the beginning that uh, a man shall leave his father and mother shall cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh uh, you know going back to the first marriage you know Adam and Eve uh, and then he finishes up with uh, this mystery is great but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church uh, so reiterating that he was trying to teach about Christ and the church it says nevertheless let each individual among you also love his wife even as himself and let the wife see that she respect her husband okay Uh, any other thoughts comments Uh, the clock says it's time to quit the first bell was a little late so I don't know when the second bell will be Um, it's interesting it seems like Paul in writing about these things um, can't decide if he's talking about the church or if he's talking about the husband and wife or the fact that they're so intertwined in God's creation and plan of of how his creation is going to work that he then, you know, just breaks off and says this is a profound mystery about how connected these illustrations are and these two relationships are. Um, so I, I, it's just interesting that even Paul uh, can't, is, is having trouble distinguishing the which one is is um, more significant in, in our perspective? Right. Point. I think it's important too. That doesn't mean that everything's going to always go well uh, with your uh, wife, husband, or wife. Uh, I remember the old. The, he's older than we were. We went here and preached, and he was preaching on this subject. He said uh, uh, he and his wife never considered divorce. He said murder sometimes. <laughs> Okay, thank you for your comments. Uh, We'll get into chapter six. You know, Craig will lead us starting Wednesday night.